0: Detective season three episode two. This was a doubleheader, so it came out on Sunday night. But you know, it takes a couple days to get these ready. But uh, still thinking about it. Still thinking about it. I watched both of them on Sunday night, and then of course I I did the episode one podcast immediately after on the next day. And on this one, I've let it set for a couple days and then rewatched it and started putting these notes together and thinking about it and man this this episode was a lot slower. This episode was a lot slower. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing, although I don't know I don't know if this will be able to survive in the same slow burn way that probably would have worked 5 or 6 years ago. I think this is why they tried to to drop these on both nights because I think if this was a standalone episode it would have been received poorly, and then you would have seen a drop off in in viewership on on episode three. But episode two, we start back in 1980, as we as we learn of Will Purcell's basically having head trauma and a you know basically beaten to death uh, before he was put at his gravesite. We then go and we kind of start our investigation, and we start with Brett Woodard, the trash man. We learn the trash man, uh, who we already knew was a veteran. He, he talks about losing his family, losing his family whenever he went over to Vietnam, and basically talks about really prideful, really prideful, doesn't want to be lumped into to these other guys coming back from Vietnam who are bums and burnouts and questionable characters. Brett Woodard knows that he's out collecting trash and seems sketchy, but he's out collecting trash trying to work and earn money. So he's not too proud. He doesn't have to be called anything other than a trash collector. Basically, he's, he's trying to get scrap metal, trying to get trash and turn it into money. But he wants to, he's prideful. He wants you to know he's not a burnout. And here Roland, Roland, man, really appreciates uh, him, which... Uh, then ask, just puts it out there, hey, do you do you generally like kids? Just to go back over it, you sure you didn't see anything?
1: I told you. I saw the teenagers out there too. I was going in the other direction. You like kids generally? Do What the fuck's the right answer to that? You think I listen i got two kids, okay. Where are they? I don't know. She didn't tell me. And I haven't gone looking. If I'd never left, I think it'd have been fine. But to go and come back, I just couldn't put myself back in that old story, that's all. And I couldn't leave it either, you know? You ever been someplace you couldn't leave? You couldn't stay
0: both at the same time. A couple things here, yeah. Uh, Tom, the trash man, is right. What what is the right answer to being asked? You generally like kids. If he says no, then well, would he have killed one? If he says yes, then okay, that's creepy. You're a pedophile. Goes on talks about how you know I have kids, and just because I haven't reached back out to them doesn't mean that I don't. Love them, does it? Just because I don't know where they're at, that's more so me not wanting to expose them to my shit. And then you hear him talk about kind of being stuck, being stuck in an endless loop, right? Being stuck where he can't uh, leave but can't stay at the same time, like he's like he's trapped, like he's trapped. We then do some time hopping. Uh, Twenty fifteen, Wayne and his son are headed to the the West Finger Community Center where here you get a flashback back to 1980 and the original aftermath of these Purcell kids going missing and you and you see the the fear, the panic in that community, uh, the public pressure on the cops to solve the crime. I know this is kind of playing into, you know we didn't really touch on episode 1, but the the real life court case that's been really compared to this season so far of True Detective is the the West Memphis Three, where three teenagers were arrested and convicted of killing kids satanically. And, you know, from episode one, the, the Black Sabbath shirt kind of laid the groundwork for these teenagers uh, kind of being into some devil music and the culture surrounding teenagers at this time. I don't know how far this West Memphis Three comparison's going to go this season. I know that the the writer said there's a little homage to it but that it's not an, an overlapping theme for much longer, but here you've had the groundwork of teenagers uh, questioned about their music choice. You have the, you know, the case being reopened in 1990 and here you have a community, a a lot of pressure on these cops to solve the crime we'll see if that leads to a a hasty arrest and decision and verdict and all of that. We'll see how that plays out later in this series, but right now I know a lot of people are thinking of the West Memphis 3 with what we've seen from the creepy teenagers in episode 1. He then goes and talks to Amelia about the dolls, trying to figure out, "Hey, what is the the deal with these? What what's the deal with these?" Flashback to 2015 where Uh, Wayne is kind of admitting to his son that he is having trouble remembering his wife. And his son doesn't really understand why he's putting himself through this in 2015. Why is he talking to these TV people? Why is he going through this interview on a case that's meant so much and it seems like maybe have taken a toll on him? But then you see kind of of like from season one, and I know I said I was going to not compare it much, but... I like season one how Rust is is willing to talk to the cops about the 2012 murders because he's trying to get more information. You, you kind of realize that's what Wayne is doing here by doing this TV documentary. He wants to try to remember some stuff he's forgotten or learn new information.
2: Are you sure you want to keep talking to the TV people? Hey, woman, the director. I want to know what she's after. But they might know now. She said she'd, uh, show me something next time. Well, she's baiting your dad. You think she cares all about you or who did it? She just wants people to watch her shitty show.
1: And I think
2: Mom wants you to move on. Enjoy the family you have around you. Yeah. She and I always had different ideas. <laughs> I remember that.
0: So the son obviously not happy with with his dad, who struggles mentally, still being so wrapped up in this case. And earlier he had asked his son, "What do you think mom would want?" And the son tells him, "I think mom would want you to to stop, to quit, to live your life, to enjoy your family you do have." To which Wayne says, well, "We never got along anyway. We never we, we disagreed on a lot. I guess is what he said. We 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 had differences of opinions." Time hop back to to 1980 and you get a little bit of a talk with with the creepy cousin as wayne and roland are are hanging around the house trying to get an idea uh, trying to talk to some people trying to kind of observe to see if anything's happening and you get a you get a glimpse of the creepy cousin but nothing really here a quick shout out to to tom's mom louise who is the mom from sling blade but tom kicks him out and says hey you guys need to go you guys need to go back to 2012 where we get into a couple things. We get into a couple things. Uh, there's a couple of elephants in the room, I guess, addressed first coming from the the lady doing the documentary where she talks about the dolls. Like We're still trying to focus on the dolls and figure out their meaning, and she says that they think the dolls could be linked to pedophilia.
1: Did you know at various times since large-scale pedophile rings connected to people of influence were uncovered in the surrounding areas, do you know about the Franklin scandal? No. It's been theorized that the straw dolls are a sign of pedophile groups like the Crooked Spiral.
0: So here's a little hat tip to season one of True Detective, where, hey, we're in Louis, we're, you know, that was in Louisiana. Now we're in Arkansas, so obviously it's it's not far away. But the the pedophilia of season one prominent figures. Now at the end of season one in 2012, you know they had they had found no link between the the Tuttles, the governor the you know the FBI cleared the the church and and the state from being involved in the pedophilia but here she says you know we found locally there's been instances of people with with high influence with high influence who have been linked to it they are the dolls could be a symbol or the circle think back to the the circle that you always saw the the Carcosa symbol but a little a little nod here like hey yeah we know this might be a little si- a little similar and like i said we'll see if it connects at the end but they're at least acknowledging that it's uh, along the same theme and then they address the next elephant in the room and you know the first episode they didn't really adjust uh, address it but here in episode 2 it it gets brought up a lot and that is the that is the fact that Wayne is a black man in arkansas in the '80s, right? Like, did did racism play a part in the investigation, in the case, in the subsequent reopening of the case? All of this, like, how how big of a battle did did Wayne fight? And uh, man, this uh, this is one of the more cringy lines from the from the episode. And I hope that they don't turn this uh, director into too much of a punchline, but she. She wants to ask Wayne about this.
1: Can I ask, with what happened in 1990 and you leaving the force, did you ever feel your leads and theories were discounted because of your race?
2: Not particularly. No. Why?
1: Well, I'm interested in the intersectionality of marginalized groups within authoritarian and systemic racist structures. Anyways, those, those dolls from the scene,
0: they were a significant lead. Well, I'm interested in the intersectionality of systematic racism or something like that. And it seemed a little bit forced, but okay, now we see that she has a little bit of a, a theory, I guess, about the case and what, where it's gone wrong. Uh, but okay, but yeah, back back to what I was saying, the dolls, the dolls mean something. Just felt a little forced and cheesy and not good writing. It felt more like Vince Vaughn's monologues from season two uh, than, than good Smart, rotting. Maybe that's how she's supposed to be, though. Maybe, maybe we are supposed supposed to kind of find her as a joke between the son saying she's just trying to make her shitty TV show, and her being really awkward uh, when she talks. But in this episode, we see Amelia, of course Wayne's wife. We see her kind of uh, take the lead, take the lead, and start doing some police work, trying to help out. She's on the playground asking about. The dolls, Asking if anybody had seen the dolls. And she comes across a young boy named Mike who's like, yeah, I saw saw this doll. I saw this doll and Julie had it. Julie had the doll at the end of the night when we went trick-or-treating on Halloween. And, you know, you find out later when he's getting, not interrogated, but when he's talking to the cops trying to help them, she helps relax him and gets him to open up to Wayne and Roland. And we find out that Julie had been given the doll at the end of the night. Uh, by two men, two big men, two ghosts in big sheets. So we have a little bit of a lead here of, okay, now we we, we know this this doll might be connected and we know that this might be something that was a week in the making. You know, this was November 7th on the disappearance and Halloween, of course, would be a week before that. So we have, uh, we have our first lead. A lead that, you know... Wayne, Roland eventually take to their coworkers, to their bosses, and they try to launch a. They try to launch a basically a investigation where they're going to try to enter people's homes and look around. You know, basically just go knock on their door, say, "Hey, can we come in? Look around." Some people will say yes, and they might find some leads. Some people will say no, and that's okay. But they want to try to. Uh, Rattle the cage a little bit and see if anyone panics and is out of the ordinary. To which his boss is like, no, well this is dumb. This is dumb. We're not going to do that. But, you know, it's kind of talked about, well, we can't blow this opportunity to to try to stake out this area that Mike gave up to them, uh, his trigger treating path. We can't make public this one th- secret that we know, that we have a lead, that this area— of town where these kids trick treated is our one connection, or I guess is, is our one thing that we think we know about the potential, or I guess about the disappearance. We shouldn't talk about it. We shouldn't talk about it. We should watch that area and see what happens. Now, if we want to go and try to rattle them a little bit, that's one thing, but otherwise, let's stay quiet. But in this episode, you see it's a fine line between staying quiet and giving people hope. You know, you think back to the uh, rec center, the convention center, the town hall meeting earlier where the where the citizens were really putting pressure on the police to start giving some answers. And you see the dad, Tom, who, by the way, Tom, so far, I know it's Ali's vehicle and Ali's the star. But Tom, Tom, the dad, has been really solid in two episodes of really making you feel for him, making you believe that he is a tortured father, but there's the scene where he's at work, and he's not supposed to be at work, and everyone in town's kind of talking about him, including his co-workers, and he's getting judged, and that leads to him quitting slash getting fired, not being willing to go on leave, not being willing to just sit around and not work. He says, I'm out of here. I quit, and you see him Walking down the road later in the episode and, and he gets picked up by Wayne and Roland Who just happened to be in the area And you can really see the frustration And the the pain, the anguish From not really having any leads Or not hearing anything
2: If we're not going to find it I just need to know now I can't go to sleep I can't wake up
0: If we're not gonna find her, just let me know. Basically he's losing hope, but then you also see a familiar, familiar theme of True Detective, right? Of just being stuck in this loop. He can't go to sleep, but he can't wake up. Think back to the trash man, trash man Tom, right? Talking about how he can't leave but can't stay. He's just stuck in this torture. His comes from from Vietnam and losing his family voluntarily, voluntarily not trying to get them back into it. Now, of course, Tom's had his his kids ripped away from him, but he too is just stuck in this misery. And, of course, I'm not doing a good job of not talking about this, but, of course, you remember Russ Cole season one talking about Tom's a flat circle, being stuck, reliving the same nightmares, the kids living the same nightmares, uh, kind of you know, right there on the nose in terms of people getting stuck in these – PTSD moments and reliving things that changed their life and and not being able to shake it. It's happened to the trash man. Of course, it's happened to Tom. Tom just wants some type of answer. So you really see uh, both sides of this. You have the community freaking out. You have the dad freaking out, needing to know something. Are we getting closer to finding my daughter? But you have a, a pretty telling exchange between... Roland, Wayne, and their bosses whenever they're pitching this this investigation idea of you know knocking on doors, knocking on and just trying to go in and search. And they're like, oh, that'll never give us any evidence that we can actually prosecute somebody in court. To which the obvious reply is this isn't about winning a court case. This is about finding a little girl. So everyone's got different agendas. Everyone's got uh, things pulling them in opposite directions. They've got another, you know, they, they are able to find another clue with this Ted LaGrange guy, and, you know, they'd found out from a sex shop owner that he was in there asking, asking their workers about little girls, asking about little girls. So they, of course, go and pick him up and do what we've seen policemen do on this show, right, which is have impunity and just do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, episode one, they were itching for the opportunity to beat the hell out of someone. And they got it in this one as they take him to a barn, tie him up, and go to town on him. But they get nowhere. They get nowhere. And, you know, later reveal that they have him in the trunk tied up. And and you hear Roland just say, well, let's go ahead and kill him. No one's going to miss him. Let's go ahead and kill him. But Wayne spares him and says, no, we'll just get him arrested because uh, this guy is a, a creep who has been asking about little girls. He doesn't belong here he needs to be in trouble so we'll just get him to violate his parole and then gives ted a warning of like hey if you uh, talk about anything well something very graphic is going to happen to you
2: you want to execute him we can bury him right out here i don't give a shit throw him off a bridge nobody'll care put him in holding. it's pro parole violated he'll be back in Wrightsville tomorrow full sentence You say so. Talk shit about us. I have monstrous niggas fuck them to death in this cell. You hear me,
0: boy? You will bleed black cock. One of those true detective moments that that make you laugh and also cringe and show you uh, that these cops can and will at times do whatever they need to do. Then pick up in the bar and you have Wayne and Amelia Getting to know each other, having a drink, chit chatting. Uh, of course, Wayne reveals that he is a kind of, you know kind of a, right on the nose. Talks about his favorite comic books. Like he's not. He's like I'm not much of a reader. He may or may not be dyslexic. I don't know. But we find out that he was more of a comic book guy and loves Batman, who of course was an obsessed vigilante, hell bent on on saving the world by himself, doing what he could do. And silver and the Silver Surfer, who is just just this only only soulful lonely exile right so you kind of get a little bit of a background like this is this this is uh Wayne's heroes the the lonely vigilantes who will uh, be kind of outcasts walk alone in the woods at night trying to track boar trails but Wayne and Amelia's date slash get to know each other moment is ruined when they see that when they see that the police boss has gone on TV and blown their only lead kind of gone out and made it out made it for the public to consume freaked everyone out and just got them bogged down with a bunch of fake leads episode ends with you know just the most drastic 2015 realization that that Wayne is in not good shape at all mentally like they had already obviously hinted at that but uh, the episode ends with him the episode ends with him uh, being back where it all began in the streets disoriented lost frightened panicked and that's how episode two ends so like I said this episode had it was a really a step back, of course, from the from the premiere, and I do think that they put this on back to back nights as a way to try to get you sucked in enough and not have to wait, you know, weekend a week after a slow episode with only that to kind of go off of for fourteen days, you can get by with both of these being on the same night. Episode one, of course, obviously had the excitement, the case being introduced to you episode two was uh, a step back more minutiae more minutiae and actual police work which can be exciting cannot be exciting at times uh we we hinted on it i thought racism played a big part in this and you see it with him talking to uh, the tv director and him talking to his partner where he basically uh, questions you know like why didn't you have my back why didn't you why didn't you help stop this? You're white, Roland. You should have been able to get your tribe mates, your people. To of which of course, Roland takes offense to I knew they wouldn't listen to
2: me. But you should've stopped that. Me? What am I supposed to do? You were there? I'm saying. Our talk it don't mean anything. Don't matter if I'm right. You at least you talk, it mean something to them. Might consider what you're saying. Might have stopped them from doing that. Bullshit. Who knew until it was on the TV? Why didn't you stop them? They ain't my tribe, man. Take care of your shit. Tribe? Where you think you are, asshole? I know where I am. Do you? It don't sound like it. Son, I know where I am in a way you will never understand. Are you high, Purple Haze? Because you're making about as much goddamn sense as my grandmother's dementia. No, I'm saying I know where I am. Hey, good for you.
0: We'll see if the racism plays a big part in it moving forward or not. Whether or not they just tried to kind of force this in in this episode just to address the elephant in the room. But we'll see what happens with episode three. We'll see what happens with episode three. I do worry that this is going to have trouble captivating people if it doesn't pick up quickly. We'll see where they go. So far, I'd give it a uh, seven and a half, eight out of 10. I've enjoyed it. We'll see where they go from here. All right, check out episode three whenever it comes out. I'll try to get it out Monday after the after the debut. Got the thread up on the Patreon if anybody wants to talk about it. I don't think anyone's really interested in talking about this so far, but patreon.com slash Rees Ranch. Appreciate you guys. Talk soon.